0: And as I do, if there are any older kids here today, sort of primary ageing up, now's a good time to pull out this sermon worksheet if you haven't already, or go and grab one from Jess at the back. It's a good one to have while we're listening to the Bible reading and Pastor Matt's talk. You can tick off how many times he says different words, you can draw pictures of the things that he talks about that you pick up. Perhaps you could even show your parents at the end of the service or show Pastor Matt what you've listened and learnt during the service as well. But Felicia, come on up and read the Bible.
1: Hello everyone. So those who haven't met me, I am Felicia, as Karina said, Um, and we're going to be reading through Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 to 26. So if you'd like to just open up your Bibles and read along with me, and if you don't have one, just raise your hands and one of the host team will come and give you one as well. Okay, now before we begin, just let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the Word. Thank you for this time this morning um, that we are able to come and listen to the Word being read and preached. Um, thank you for Pastor Matt. Um, I pray that we would have open hearts, soft hearts, and listening ears, and um, that we would be able to understand what is said. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Philippians chapter one, verse 12 to 26. Now, I want you to know brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ. so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. This is the word of the Lord.
0: All right, thanks, Felicia, and good morning, everyone. My name's Matt, one of the other pastors here at CPE. Now, um, talking about things that people could talk about for hours and hours and hours, uh, I had a friend at uni called Max, and he was... Um, singularly obsessed Uh, he had this thing that was always on his mind he was always talking about it It was very clearly his passion he was an absolutely mad Cronulla Sharks supporter. Now I don't know if you've ever met someone who's just a total footy mad person. Uh, uh, Max he would go to every single one of their games He'd be so happy when they won, and then he'd be so deflated when they lost. Uh, Just everything about him, he would always be wearing his Sharks jersey around. You know, the Sharks just pulsed through his veins, you know? He was one of those uh, kind of fanatics. Now, it was quite fun. We got along quite well. Me being a Broncos supporter, him being a Sharks supporter, uh, I used to be able to give him a lot of stick because the Cronulla Sharks had not won a premiership in 50 years Right? They'd been, in the, been part of the competition for 50 years, hadn't won a single time, whereas the Broncos had only been in for about uh, 20-odd years, had won five or six premierships by that time. Uh, so I used to be able to give him a lot of stick until finally, a few years ago, 2016, finally, the Cronulla Sharks won their very first NRL premiership. I remember messaging him that day, and you could just feel the relief and the joy of this man as finally his his team finally finally made it to the very summit now i wonder if you know someone like that so passionate so singularly obsessed so so much about this is his thing is it your thing do you have a passion like this Uh, maybe it's a video game or a hobby or it's your home renos or your lawn or say there's something else out there that's like your thing that you just love, you can talk about, you can go on for ages. Today we're going to be reading about Paul the Apostle and his single-mindedness. The thing that brings him joy, the thing that he is passionate about, the thing that drives him and it's going to be really helpful and instructive for us because he starts to help us just to think about what's Truly important. What's actually worth our devotion and our dedication? What is it that gives him this joy that he can experience this in spite of his circumstances? Not waiting till his team would win or lose, he just seems to exude joy. In fact, all the way through this series, and when we did it um, last year on Philippians, that was really the theme that you saw all the way through this book. Paul's joy. In his circumstances. See, the extraordinary thing is that Paul's actually under house arrest, right? He's in the house arrest, which means that he's got to be chained up to a Roman guard uh, all hours of the day, uh, so you can imagine that. He's not allowed to leave. He doesn't just have the freedom to go out and do stuff. You know, people can visit him. He could still write his letters. In fact, a lot of the New Testament letters we have were written by Paul while he was under arrest. Now, what we understand is that he was probably also then taken into Caesar's palace, Right? Yeah, we're talking about the Caesar of Rome. Uh, He doesn't know his fate, whether he will live or whether he will die. And yet Paul is there and he is a happy prisoner. He's a happy prisoner. This isn't the experience of a depressed man who doesn't know whether next week he's going to be on trial and he'll be sentenced to death. This is the experience of someone who's got this real clarity about his life. That even as he stands or as one in really terrible circumstances, he has joy. And what we're going to see is that there's a real sense in which Paul's just got this clarity of purpose, clarity about what's important to him, that he can have joy even though he's under arrest. Have a look with me, verse 12. Chapter 1, verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of my brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the them all to proclaim the gospel without fear. See, what Paul's kind of revealing there is that there is something that's more important than his personal circumstances. What he's saying as he stands there and he's, and he's writing this is he says, you know what? My imprisonment has served to help others go and get bold about the gospel, right? People who are otherwise uh, not very confident evangelists have gone on and started preaching the gospel. See, for Paul, that's the most important thing. He's got a clear sense in which actually... The gospel going forwards is far more important than me in my personal circumstances. In fact, as we, he starts to explain, uh, actually what he started to see is that the palace guy, like people within Caesar's own household, has started to learn the gospel. Everyone knows why he's there. Everyone knows he's in prison because of his preaching of the gospel. The guards, the people chained to him. You know, can you imagine just being a, you know, part of Caesar's Praetorian guard and you're doing, just doing your kind of duty and you're chained to this political prisoner and all he does all day long is he preaches. He just talks about Jesus of Nazareth. Now Paul actually reveals later on, he says this, right? as he's writing to us, he says, "All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household." See, I think part of the reason Paul rejoices is that he looks around, and he goes, "You know what, my circumstances might be terrible, but here I have the opportunity to preach the gospel to Caesar's own household that there have been converts, whether there are guards, whether there servants, maybe even family members of Caesar's, have come to know the gospel through Paul and his circumstances. But secondly, he then goes on to make that other point, that actually other reluctant evangelists have looked at Paul and his circumstances and gone, well, hey, if Paul was willing to go to that extent for the sake of the gospel, what excuse do I have? And so these reluctant evangelists have been going on and they've been bold to go and preach the gospel because they've seen what's happened to Paul. Right, it's a bit like some of those movie scenes, you know, like um, you know, this, the general or the king, kind of, he marches first into battle. And when everyone sees how brave he is, everyone gets psyched for it and they get behind him and they just go into battle with him. And I think that's what Paul's kind of seeing here. He's kind of going. You know, it doesn't matter that I've been the first one to suffer consequences as a result of the preacher of the gospel. There is a whole army that is being raised up around me who are going out and bringing this word of hope to our world around us. See, I actually remember um, doing this at university. Um, As a first-year student, you know, you're kind of just still nervous, still kind of working out your own faith. But what would happen was that uh, these upper-year, like third- or fourth-year students, what they would do is they would take you out evangelising. And what that would look like on campus was, literally, you would just go and walk up to people and strike up a conversation about Jesus. Now, in university, that's, you know, that's kind of actually, you know, people are actually pretty willing to engage. They're already there, kind of working out life, thinking about things, and, and, and people are really up for those conversations. But what it needed was somebody just to kind of take you under their wing and to realize oh actually having these conversations about jesus is not as hard or scary as you think and see i think that's the kind of thing that paul's just rejoicing in that actually his work is paving the way for others to become preachers of the gospel in fact he's even he's even glad that some of his rivals are now out preaching the gospel that there's actually another group out there that are preaching the gospel that maybe he's not quite as friendly with, but they're still preaching the gospel. Verse 15 It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this I rejoice. Now, it's tricky to know exactly who Paul's talking about in this instance, but probably, probably what we're seeing here are other Christians who maybe they've had some kind of disagreement or conflict with Paul in the past. Okay? See, they're out preaching the gospel, they're not preaching a false gospel, they're not uh, anti the gospel, they're definitely not about preaching Jesus. But maybe for whatever reason they've disagreed with Paul on something, and now that Paul's in jail, they are kind of taking the opportunity to kind of go, oh well, we're going to fill up the vacuum and we're going to, we're going to um, preach and, and lead people, and, and, and yeah, Paul's in prison, so you know, maybe there's something that they didn't like about Paul's teaching, or well, here's our chance to kind of fill that in, there's a bit of rivalry going on here. You see, I think you can actually have disagreements with people and still be able to work, work alongside each other. There's particular truths that are really core gospel truths that you can't... You know, if we disagreed on those, you know, I think we probably wouldn't be in fellowship if you didn't believe that Jesus rose from the dead or believe that uh, Jesus is indeed, uh, is indeed God, the Son. You know, there are things that if we disagree on, it's kind of hard to be in fellowship on some of those things. But if you disagree with the kinds of songs that we sing in church, maybe you disagree on baptism, or on the role of the Holy Spirit, or there might be things like that where do you know, genuine, good, faithful Christians disagree on, and we can still be in fellowship, we can still actually encourage each other, and be on about the gospel together. And so I think that's what's going on here with Paul, is that maybe he disagrees with this other group and, and some of these guys on some other things, but you know what? They're still preaching the gospel, and that's what's important to him, seeing the gospel going forwards, and in that he rejoices. See, I wonder as we begin 2024, we're still in the early parts of the year, whether you have a real clear sense of what's important for you, of what your purpose is for living and the way that you think about life. I reckon it's one of those great things about the start of the year. It's always a chance to refresh and to re-kind of set your uh, clarity, get some clarity over your vision about what you're wanting to be on about this year. See, this is one of those kind of self development type statements. I am actually can't quite remember where it's from, but it it's, rings true. It says, having a clear vision for your life purpose is so important. Clarity allows you to give meaning and context to the things that happen in your life, Right? It's just kind of saying that if you know what your life's about, you know if you're winning. You know if there's those things that are happening in your life are good things or if they're bad things. It gives you a bit more context. And when you don't have that clarity, what happens is you kind of just end up responding to things as they come to you. You're not kind of really on the front foot living and, and pursuing something. You're just sort of responding to the good or bad things that swing your way. I think Paul has a very clear sense of gospel purpose in his life, doesn't he? Isn't it so true that even as he goes and he looks around and he says, well, my life is kind of bad at the moment, but I can rejoice. Why? Because the thing that's important to me, the thing that gives my life clarity and purpose and meaning is seeing the gospel going forth. And yeah, my life circumstances might be kind of rubbish right now, but I'm kind of really glad because I look around me and I see the gospel growing, people being saved, people calling upon Jesus and finding eternal life in his name. And he says, that is awesome. And I rejoice in that. Furthermore, I think Paul's also clear on this. Paul's also clear on who he's living for. Not just on what he's living for, who he's living for. So you read on from uh, verse 80. The second part there, he says, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Christ Jesus, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live as Christ... And to die is gain. Now this is one of Paul's most famous little lines: uh, "To live is Christ. to die is gain." Now what he's saying there is that this is his goal. His purpose in life. is to want to see Christ exalted more than Paul exalted. In fact, he's almost even saying that, you know what? Paul is nothing. Paul's comfort doesn't matter. Paul's needs don't matter. Paul's even Paul's reputation doesn't matter as much as jesus being exalted jesus winning people over to the kingdom jesus being preached to our world that needs salvation and it's not just to see jesus exalted but actually he also treasures christ so much that should he die he knows that he will go and spend eternity with his lord and savior and for him that it's worth more than anything. This is actually what he writes in chapter 3, a few chapters down. He says this, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain. Friends, Jesus is so important, so central to who Paul is, so much a part of his joy and his delight, that it's his passion, his obsession, his treasure and his prize. Everything in this world is like nothing. It's like rubbish compared to knowing what he's already got in Christ. Now can you see how unshakable that life is? How unshakable that joy is? that it doesn't depend on whether things go well or badly for him because he knows he's got something that is a sure thing and that is the eternity that he will spend with Jesus. Eternity, that's millions and trillions of years. And so what happens in this temporary life? Should he miss out on life or freedom or enjoyment or leisure? Those things for him. He says they're but rubbish compared to knowing Christ. Christ. You know, church, I wonder if that's what your relationship with Jesus is like, that it, He is your joy and your delight. Now, as a staff team, we're having this conversation, actually, this week um, uh, within our team, and we're talking about the fact that, you know, often when we, when we do, you know, ask each other that question about, you know, how is your relationship with Jesus going, we often kind of immediately lead to uh, the things that we are doing for Jesus, Right? Uh, you know whether we feel like we're doing the things like we're reading his word praying we're serving his people we're doing and those are all really great things but ultimately the kind of just more human focused thing right it's all about what we're doing for jesus and much less about actually just us delighting in taking joy in jesus See, I think that's actually a lot more fundamental, that actually it's our delight in Christ more than our duty to him that that should be our starting point as we think about our relationship with Jesus. The theologian A.W. Tozer said this, which I think is quite helpful. He said, it is one thing to have a lot of information about God, but it is another thing to bask in the warmth and reality of his presence. I really love that as a phrase, isn't it? Because there is something that's actually more important than what we're doing for God. It's actually the time that we just spend delighting in Him. That we would bask in the warmth and the reality of God. His presence, what He's done for us, His salvation. The fact that He's adopted us into His family. See, I think in some ways, maybe the question we should be asking each other is, what have you been delighting in with Christ lately? What have you learned about Jesus that maybe gave you cause to rejoice? See, finding joy in Christ is really, that's the foundation of the Christian life in lots of ways because that's where we really start to be transformed as we understand more of what Jesus has done for us and we grow in that sense of joy in him before we start doing things for him. Paul goes on to show this even more so as he thinks about his impending, potential impending death. Verse 22, If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. You see, Paul's delight in Jesus. Jesus. It's so great that, you know what, he says, if I died today, if I died next week and I was put on trial and executed, I would go to spend eternity with my Lord and Saviour and that would be better for me personally. But you know what? While Jesus grants me whatever time I have here, I'm going to serve for the joy of seeing others come to know Christ. See, verse 25 says this: Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and will continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ, in Jesus, will abound on account of me. Paul says, every ounce and time and energy that he has life in his potentially short time, he's going to use it for the progress and joy of others in the faith. See, I love looking around on a Sunday and just seeing people serving in lots of different ways, right? Whether it's in our Sunday school, looking after the kids, teaching them about the joy that we can have in Jesus, people leading our music so that we can sing praise to our God. Whatever kind of service might be happening around the church, we'll see that joy should be the motivation behind it. Not just duty, obligations, not just a thing that I do because, well, I guess there's a need or an opportunity there, but actually because I want to see people take joy in Christ. There is a joy in seeing a five-year-old learn something new about Jesus. There is a joy of seeing our church raise our voices together as one in praise to our God and King. Yes, there is sacrifice and there is, uh, there is burden to serving others. But John Piper says this in his book, Don't Waste Your Life. He says this, If you live gladly to make others glad in God, your life will be hard, your risks will be high, and your joy will be Will be full. And I think that's just great, isn't it? Because our life is about what we sacrifice to, what we give to. But when you give to serving Jesus, your joy will be full because you're actually helping others find infinite joy in Jesus. So, what have we seen in this great passage? Paul's unshakable joy in Christ, his delight in knowing him. Doesn't matter his circumstances. He has such a clarity of purpose and what's important for him, of what the good and the winning and, 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 and what life looks like for him, that he takes joy in others coming to know Christ, even in the midst of his circumstances. So church, really that's the question for us today. Do we have that level of clarity? As you're starting off 2024, as you're thinking about your life and you're planning for this year, Is that what your life is looking do you have a clear sense of the way that the gospel is a thing that will bring joy to others actually delighting in christ both for yourself and wanting to see others take delight in christ might be the driving force behind you and you would know you would understand then that actually there are certain things in your life that you might want to prioritize why because it allows others to find their joy in christ that there might be other things you might need to make in changes into your own daily habits so that you can spend time delighting in Christ. And see, what happens when we don't have that clarity, when you don't have a real clear sense that that's what you, you want to be on about, is that what happens is that the world just kind of keeps nibbling away at us. And it keeps drawing us away to the things that it says is where you find delight and joy. See, John Piper goes on to say this in his book. He says... If you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it's not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It's because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things and there is no room for the great. See what he's saying there? It's like the, you know, the person who's kind of just binged out on junk food and then they miss out on the beautiful meal that is to come. They have sought satisfaction in little quick, little dopamine hits of social media or whatever. And we're missing out on the deep, soul-satisfying delight of knowing Jesus and helping others know him too. So church, that's my challenge for all of us here this morning. As we still early in the years, you're making plans, you're thinking about what's important for you this year. Will you follow Paul's example Will you take on his passion, his desire, his delighting in Christ? And might that be for a basis, for a a life of of wanting to see others know Jesus and delight in him too? I'm going to pray for us that we would do exactly that. Let's pray. Our gracious heavenly Lord, Lord, we just want to delight in Jesus this morning as we see the way that Paul speaks about his relationship with Jesus. Lord, might we realise that we have the same treasures in Christ that Paul has. The things that shaped and moved and motivated Paul, he was so clear on, that even as he sits out in jail, he might know the joy of seeing the gospel going forwards. Father, as we reflect on us, our lives, our priorities, the things that we delight in, Lord, might you grow us to know and drink deeply of the all-satisfying joy of knowing Christ, knowing that we will spend eternity with him. And Father, might you help us to make that our true joy. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, Church, we've got a moment now just to spend reflecting on some of that and, you know, really reflecting on you and your life and your year together. Um, Why don't you spend a few moments on that now